Welcome to this audio on how to see auras by Robert Bruce. Remember, if you would like information on Robert's programs, please visit www.astraldynamics.com or visit Robert's video blog at astralbob.com forward slash blog where you can also sign up for your free newsletter. Auras, Robert Bruce. This article takes a fresh look at auras, what they are, where they come from and shows how anyone can learn to see them. Seeing auras is not as hard as you may think if you go about it the right way. This is an easy step-by-step guide to doing just that. It starts right at the beginning with the easiest to see of all auras, the aura of colour and working up in easy stages to the more elusive and difficult human aura. An aura is the most visible part of the subtle energy processes going on within all physical objects. All matter has an aura of some kind, even a humble rock, but it is pretty dull when compared with the complex interplay of rainbow colours that make up a living human aura. Auras emanate from all physical objects, life forces and colours, as well as from many other energy sources. The first step in this tutorial makes use of a little-known fact, that colours have auras. Each colour has its own unique aura. This is of a completely different colour from the original. Auras, given off by bright primary colours, are much denser and far easier to see than any other type of aura. Using the aura of colours as a training aid has most people seeing an aura the very first time they try. I have been able to see auras for many years. I was not born with this ability, but taught myself the hard way. It took me several years before I could see enough of an aura to make it a worthwhile practice. I know the problems inherent in developing auric sight, and this new training method is designed to help overcome them. How auric sight works My theory is that light is necessary for the brow centre to tune into and focus on auric energy, an aura being a visual representation of this energy created by the sight centre of the brain. This appears to be the only logical explanation for auric sight. Auric sight, as with all forms of clairvoyant sight, depends upon the eyes and the normal optical sight process to work. Physical and non-physical sight are very closely related. They are both forms of perception that allow our brains to perceive energy of one type or another as a sight picture. Here is why. A. Normal sight. Eyes receive light, light being a type of energy. Eyes focus light energy onto light-sensitive nerve tissue at the back of the eye, connected to the optic nerve. Basically, this light-sensitive tissue changes focused light energy into a stream of complex electrical signals. These signals are passed via the optic nerve to the sight centre of the brain. The brain then interprets these signals into a rich visual picture, what we call normal sight. B. Auric sight. The brow centre receives a more subtle type of energy than light. This type of energy can only be received by the brow chakra, often called the third eye or brow chakra, when it is active and tuned in to receive that type of energy. The brow centre is situated directly between the eyes and is intimately connected with normal optical sight. Energy received by the brow centre is passed along to the sight centre of the brain, the same as with normal sight. The brain interprets anything it receives in its sight centre as a visual picture. It interprets auric energy as a sight picture, as coloured bands of light surrounding the subject. The eyes are the organs for normal optical sight, a physical organ. The brow centre is the organ for non-physical sight, 
a non-physical organ. Both these organs above are situated in the same general area, i.e. the brow centre is situated in the brow, directly between the eyes. The common location and similar function of both organs, sight, suggests there is a close relationship between them, i.e. the eyes, the brow centre and the sight centre of the brain are linked. My research confirms this, that all forms of non-physical sight are closely linked with the process of normal optical sight. Although there is a relationship between optical sight and the brow centre, an aura is definitely not any type of light. Some people believe auras are still light, but light at a much higher frequency than normal light, that is only visible to a clairvoyant. If this were true though, it would be possible to detect and measure this light with the sophisticated electronic instruments available today. There are scientific instruments, electronic cameras etc. that can be tuned to detect any part of the light spectrum, no matter how refined. For example, infrared, ultraviolet, X-rays, gamma rays, etc., all these can be detected, but auras cannot. Therefore, it is logical to suppose that auras are not composed of any type of light. The complexity of normal vision. The process of auric sight may sound very complicated, but is really very simple when you compare it with the process of normal optical sight, that simple visual thing we all take for granted. Look around the room you are in now. Look out of a window, what do you see? Think all the millions of objects and colours and tones you are seeing all at once in incredible three-dimensional detail. Think about how, no matter how fast you turn around, your brain keeps up with the fantastically complex image you are seeing. Your eyes pass on an incredible amount of information to your brain, but your brain interprets it all instantly. Normal optical sight is an incredibly complex and powerful ability. Compare this with the few colours and swirls of light you see in a human aura, no matter how beautiful and complex it might seem, it is still a very simple picture. There is really no comparison between these two abilities. Normal optical sight is vastly more complex and requires much more of the brain's power than auric sight does. To recap the above, auric sight is linked to and depends upon normal optical sight in order to function. What you see when you see an aura is your brain's interpretation of reflected energy emanating from your subject. Your eyes are used to tune and focus your brow centre into this energy. An electrical representation of this energy is passed to your brain's sight centre, where it is interpreted as a sight picture by your brain. In the case of an aura, your brain shows you coloured bands of light surrounding your subject. Aura cameras. There are aura cameras, you might say, that can take pictures of the human aura. You might even have a picture of your own aura taken at a psychic fair. How can this be? An aura camera does not take an actual picture of an aura. It cannot actually see an aura. It merely creates the illusion of an aura on film. How an aura camera works. A. Sensors are placed on the skin or fitted into a chair so they contact the subject's skin. These sensors measure the electrical resistance in the skin, galvanic skin response. Electrical resistance in the skin varies according to salt and moisture levels. These levels are affected by many things, diet, fluids, health, temperature, sweating, emotion, mood, activity, etc. B. These readings are fed directly into a small electronic processor attached to the camera, usually a small black box, and interpreted by it. This processor then generates a pattern of electrical signals from these readings according to how it is programmed. C. This pattern of signals is then fed into a specifically modified camera. Inside the camera, an optical colouring device creates a variable pattern of coloured lights and beams this directly onto the film and the picture is taken.
This gives the illusion of a colourful aura surrounding the subject, according to the pattern generated by the initial readings. Because of the way these cameras are set up, you will rarely get two pictures exactly the same. This is because of the large number of coloured patterns possible that can be generated by slightly different sensor readings. It would be rare to get two identical sets of sensor readings from one person and therefore have two identical aura photographs taken in the same day. An aura photograph is a camera designer's idea of what your aura should look like according to their research. This research is based upon linking clairvoyant observations with the galvanic skin response on test subjects. The designers have attempted to give a specific colour value to different patterns of galvanic skin responses. An aura photograph, therefore, is an electronic created illusion, not an actual photograph of an aura. Light and the aura. Light is necessary in order to see the main aura of anything. Living auras react in the presence of light, expanding and brightening. This reaction is most noticeable when a living aura is exposed to sunlight. You could say that auras are photosensitive. I have made extensive observations of this light reaction. I have observed the auras of people inside a house and immediately taken them outside into the sunlight. The living auras of people expand in sunlight and are much brighter. They fairly sparkle with life in strong, direct sunlight. I have seen auras expand to several times their normal size in sunlight. Another interesting observation that adds weight to this argument, that auras are not light, but that light is necessary in order for auric sight to work, the main aura cannot be seen in complete darkness. If auras were indeed light, why is it necessary for there to be light in order to see them? This shows that light and normal optical sight are an important part of auric sight. Note, in total darkness it is possible to see some slight activity around the energy body close to the skin. This is almost invisible, but looks like tiny, very faint strands and sparks of bluish light. This is very faint and most noticeable around your own fingertips when they are brought together in front of you. It is also possible to see small but intense points of light coming from fully active primary energy centres, chakras. These must be extremely active for this to be seen and you must also be very focused on your subject. This takes a lot of skill to do and the subject must be very developed, energy-wise, in order for this to be observed. This is far easier to see if there is a little available light, even if you can only make out vague shadows. It gives you something to focus on. To observe any part of the energy body in darkness, memory-based visualisation is used to focus a brow centre into a subject. You have to know exactly where the subject is in total darkness and be able to accurately gauge their distance, shape and position and see them clearly in your mind's eye. I think for the above that both astral sight and clairvoyance play a part, for those that can see energy activity in total darkness, this appears to be the only logical explanation for this phenomena. Note, light is not necessary for clairvoyant or astral sight to work, but the eyes and their normal focusing ability are still used, but with memory-based focusing and visualisation, instead of normal light-based focusing. You can see with astral and clairvoyant sight, just as well in total darkness as you can in full light. The auras of colours. If the object is red, the auric colour is green. If the object is orange, the auric colour is pale green. If the object is yellow, the auric colour is pale blue. If the object is green, the auric colour is orange. If the object is blue, the auric colour is yellow. If the object is indigo, the auric colour is gold. If the object is violet, 
the auric colour is pale gold. If the object is pink, the auric colour is iridescent green. The exact shade and tone of a colour's aura varies a great deal according to the shade and tone of the colour you are observing. Auras are also affected by the background colour against which they are highlighted when observed. After Images Auric colours are similar in appearance to after images. After images are generated by staring for 20 seconds or so at a brightly illuminated colour and then quickly closing your eyes or looking away. It is commonly thought that after images are generated by colour depletion of the rods and cones in the eyes caused by staring at one colour for too long. This generates the reverse or negative colour of that colour. An after image stays in sight until this colour depletion is corrected and the eyes return to normal. I disagree with this theory and for very good reasons. After images are generated by staring for a long time at a coloured object, 20 or 30 seconds or more. This is why I disagree with this theory. When auric sight is more advanced, the aura of a colour can be seen clearly almost the instant a coloured object is glanced at with auric sight. No prolonged staring is required to produce an aura. I have just done a test while sitting here typing this. Across the room from me, about seven feet away, is a chair. Hanging over its back is a bright blue shirt. I have done no exercises to stimulate my auric sight at all. It is early in the morning now, about 6am, and I have not long woken up. A clear, dense yellow aura begins to appear in just under four seconds. I timed it. This is surely far too short a time to generate an afterimage. I did this several times and it became faster and easier to do and the aura brighter each time. Now you could say that my eyes are becoming depleted of the colour blue by continuing to do this, thus more easily generating the yellow aura. So I turn around and look at a red shirt hanging on a hook behind me on the other side of the room. This time a clear, dense, bright green aura appears in just under five seconds this is far too short a time to generate an after image. Now when I am on what I call a clairvoyant high, the auras of colours appear to me almost the instant I glance at them, within one second. There is no appreciable delay at all. They are just there, ballooning out from colours as I look at them. The auras I see around colours as well as people do drag slightly at my eyes, creating a kind of after image effect if I stare too long at it. This effect is similar to how a normal after-image behaves, dragging and following my field of view. Now when I observe the aura of a person, I normally ask them to remove some of their clothing. This gives me a much clearer view of their aura, without the interference caused by the colours of their clothing. I see clear, bright colours in these auras, building up from their skin. My point here is this. Bare skin has no colour that can generate any kind of coloured after-image. To be truthful though, the auric colours I see around colours as well as people are often still visible, hanging briefly before my eyes when I look away or close my eyes. This is a coloured after image, but created by staring at an aura's colour, not at a physical colour. Another interesting point. The colours of any after images I get when observing living human auras are exactly the same colours as the colours of the aura I am looking at. There is no reverse colour effect at all with a bare skin living aura. So if colour depletion of the rods and cones in the eyes is solely responsible for after-images, how can this happen? A better way of explaining the reverse colour after-image effect is slow auric colours. By staring hard at a colour, the auric colour of that subject is slowly impressed upon the sight centre of the brain. 
It is not the eyes that are depleted of colour, but that the auric colour has been impressed upon the brain's sight centre. The after images that appear when you stare at primary colours are the same as the auric colours generated by those colours. The similarity in these colours, rather than contradicting the validity of auric colour of colour, supports them. Why would they be any different? You will, in the early stages of training to see auras, cause quite a strong after-image effect. This will drag and follow your eyes, and still be seen when you close your eyes or look away. This is a slow auric image effect, caused by staring so intently and for so long, while trying to master the basic technique for seeing auras. This after-image effect lessens in stages. Once the basic technique is mastered, most of the after-image effect disappears. Then as the brow centre develops further, being stimulated through use, the after-image effect decreases steadily until they are hardly noticeable. There will, however, always be a slight after-image of sorts when you really study an aura. This is unavoidable when you gaze intently upon an aura, trying to discover its secrets. The nature of auric sight and the involvement of the normal optical sight process will always cause a slight after-image drag, or slow auric image as I call it. This happens even when auric sight develops into the advanced stages. Final note on after-images. The way the aura builds up is also totally unlike the way an after-image appears. It builds up, mushrooming bright colours from bare skin. It does not just fade slowly into sight, it grows before your eyes. The colours of a living aura do not begin as a pale shadow, fading into view and then slowly deepening and growing brighter. They are one consistent colour, from their first appearance as a thin outline, highlighting the etheric aura close to the skin to their full size, often more than two or three feet wide. Auras are also not just a slight outline of colour around the skin, but large, vivid bands of colour with thickness and depth to them. And finally, while an aura is building up, if you shift focus slightly or blink, it disappears slightly, only to reappear a few seconds later, an after-image does not. Peripheral vision. Auras are seen with peripheral vision, side vision, and cannot be seen by directly focusing on them. To see an aura, you have to look to the side and past your subject. Peripheral vision is extremely sensitive to movement, much more so than direct focus vision. It can detect minute movements that your central focused vision will not see. Peripheral vision is also sensitive to many other types of subtle energy that surrounds us. Most people have had the experience of catching sight of some movement out of the corner of their eye, only to see nothing when they turn and focus on it. What happens is, one, they have seen an aura building up from a coloured object. Two, they have seen a spirit entity or ghost manifesting near them and have detected its energy with their more sensitive peripheral vision. Dr Kilner An English doctor, Dr Walter J Kilner, in 1911, used colour as an aid to stimulating auric sight. Dr Kilner researched the use of auric sight as an aid to diagnosing the health of his patients. He used dysinin screens for this. Dysinin is a dye product of coal tar. These screens consisted of two pieces of glass, with dysinin dye sandwiched and sealed between them. He found that by using these oral goggles, as he called them, he could stimulate the ability to see the human aura. He would stare for a few minutes through these screens at a bright light. When he looked away, he could see an aura surrounding his patient. He would then note any changes and abnormalities in their aura and compare them with other observations taken of healthy people. This allowed him to detect disease in the very early stages before the actual symptoms of that disease appeared. Dr Gilner used several different coloured screens and combinations of them. Different coloured screens showed him different aspects or layers of an aura.
He also used strips of brightly illuminated coloured cloth. He would stare at one of these strips after preparing his eyes by looking through one of his screens. These strips caused a phantom strip of a different colour to appear in his gaze. These were like small windows that could be moved around by shifting his gaze, highlighting different parts of his subject's aura. This gave him a different view of their aura in that part. How this works. By looking through these screens at bright light, Kilner flooded his eyes with the slow auric colour of that screen, its reverse colour. This made his eyes hypersensitive to that particular auric colour, enabling him to see that colour in his subject's aura. Different coloured screens would allow him to see different colours in an aura. The use of the strips of colour then enabled him to see the slow auric colour, reverse colour of the coloured strip, minus the original colour of the screen he was using, showing a small band of an entirely different colour in the aura. This small band of colour could be moved around the patient's aura by shifting his gaze like a small window highlighting the area it covered. One interesting thing about Dr Kilner's work is this. After using these screens for several months or more, he found he needed to use them less and less. By continually straining to see auras with his oral goggles, he stimulated his brow centre and mastered the visual technique needed to see the aura. He eventually gained full auric sight, i.e. he no longer needed the aura goggles to see auras. If you would like to get a copy of Dr Kilner's book, you will find it contains many fine colour plates or paintings showing the aura, as seen by himself and his associates. These show the different effects that can be had using combinations of different coloured screens and coloured strips. Kilner's book is listed in the book I read as Kilner, Walter John, 1965, The Human Aura, New Edition, New York University Books. I was quoted $300 for the purchase of this book. Note. I cannot comment on the effectiveness of using genuine aura goggles as I have never actually seen a pair. I did, however, experiment with a pair I made myself many years ago. I used two pieces of glass, covered them with a deep blue dye and sealed the edges with windscreen sealant. I followed Kilner's instructions, staring at a bright light through this screen, etc. I found this made my eyes extremely sore and so after a while discontinued using them. They did work, however, and showed me some interesting auric effects. I considered it was not a healthy practice, though, due to the painful burning it caused in my eyes and the possibility that it could damage them. In his book, Kilner gives a warning about this nasty side effect, burning sore eyes. Types of aura. The human aura. The human aura is an energy field that surrounds a human body and reflects the subtle life energies at work within and around it. This is something like the magnetic field that surrounds a simple magnet. Like a magnetic field, the aura is generated within physical matter, but is also affected by its surroundings. The energies flowing through the aura makes us what we are and are in turn affected by our surrounding life conditions and lifestyle. The aura reflects the activity of our organs, health, mental activity and emotional state. It also shows disease, often long before the onset of physical symptoms. The strength and properties of an aura are determined by the amount of and the quality of energies flowing through it. The main aura the main human aura is banded around the body, strata-like. Imagine a person with thick, coloured hoops of light dropped over them and you get the general idea. The main colours of the aura emanate from the primary energy centres, the main chakras or psychic centres. The individual bands of colour are difficult to see unless you have very well-developed auric sight and are observing under optimum conditions. The etheric aura. Close to the skin is the etheric aura. This is often called the vitality sheath. It is seen with auric sight as a pale, narrow band next to the skin, outlining the body. This is usually no more than half an inch wide, depending upon the vitality of the subject. 
It looks like a dense layer of pale smoke clinging to the skin. This is the visible part of the energy body in its contracted state. During sleep, the etheric aura expands and opens, becoming larger and finer, in order to absorb and store vitality, maybe cosmic energy, within it. After sleep, the energy body contracts and forms a dense sheath surrounding the body, close to the skin. This holds within it the stored energies we all need for living. In a way, the energy body is like a living storage battery. During sleep, it automatically sets itself on recharge, replacing the energies that have been used up. Energy centres, chakras. The primary energy centres, chakras, are the non-physical organs of the energy body. There are at least seven primary centres and over 300 secondary and minor centres scattered throughout the human body. Altogether, they form a complex network of non-physical energy components. These are all joined together by interconnecting pathways or meridians. These centres and their interconnecting pathways, meridians, were charted by the Chinese and other Eastern races thousands of years ago. Modern versions of these charts are still widely used today in many types of alternative medicine and bodywork, i.e. acupuncture and reflexology. Primary energy centres are attached to major internal organs, glands, nerve ganglia and the spinal cord. Secondary and minor energy centres are attached to joints, glands and nerve clusters throughout the body. There are active centres transforming and manipulating energy, feeding other energy centres and taking care of life processes both physical and non-physical. There are storage centres, communication centres and centres designed to absorb energy from other energy sources around us. Some energy sources. Food, water, oxygen, sunlight, planetary energy, cosmic energy, love, sex, music. Some of these energy sources are very subtle but all are necessary for us to live a balanced life. Energy centres are invisible to the naked eye but can be felt quite strongly when they are active as a pulsing, thrumming sensation. When energy is consciously drawn from one centre to another through the connecting meridians, this can be felt as a rushing water sensation, a spreading warmth, a tingling feeling or a combination of these. Energy centres, chakras, can also be seen with auric and clairvoyant sight as whirling vortexes of intensely coloured light. Every energy centre has important individual functions in the energy body. It also works in conjunction with all the other major and minor centres. Each centre is an individual but integral part of the energy body. They all work together for the good of the whole energy body, just as all the physical organs, brain, heart, liver, kidneys, glands, etc., work together for the good of the whole physical body. The energy body is extremely complex. It is, in a way, similar to an electronic device. Energy flows into the electronic device and on through connecting pathways, meridians. They are etched into the circuit board. Energy flows into the electronic device and on through connecting pathways, meridians, that are etched into the circuit board. These connecting pathways, meridians, carry energy onto all its electronic components, chakras, diodes, resistors, capacitors, etc., Energy is continually being charged, enhanced and transformed by these components to serve a multitude of different purposes required by the device as a whole unit to function properly. Every single energy centre is very much like a single electronic component. It takes in energy from the components around it and changes the value of it. It enhances this energy in various ways, transforming it into something different that is needed by the whole unit. Each energy centre, chakra, 
takes in the different types of energy it requires from other energy centres in the energy body and generates a completely different type of energy with a different value and colour according to what is required. The strength of each primary energy centre in any particular person depends on that person's individual makeup, their nature, health and lifestyle, as well as their spiritual, moral and psychic development. The energy generated by all the chakras at once is reflected into the aura, mixing together and causing the dominant hue of the aura. This dominant hue is a part of the aura most commonly seen with auric sight. The seven primary energy centres, the major chakras. 1. Base. Base of spine between anus and genitals, the colour is red. 2. Spleen, navel area, the colour is orange. Solar plexus, the base of the sternum, the colour is yellow. Number four, heart, centre of the chest over the heart, its colour is green. Five, throat, base of throat, just above where it joins the chest, the colour is blue. Six, brow, exact centre of the forehead, between the eyes, its colour is violet. Seven, crown, whole top of head above the hairline, its colour is gold. Chakra notes. Each primary is best thought of as roughly the size of your hand. Each primary has more than one function in part or petal. The exact location of sensations felt when a primary centre is active will vary slightly depending on what part of that centre or petal is active. For example, the spleen centre is usually felt between the tummy button and pubic line. The brow centre is often felt between the eyebrows instead of on the actual brow. The human aura and colour. The human aura is very sensitive to colour. It reacts to the colours of clothing worn and to the colours of its surrounding area. Colour affects the subtle flow of energies within the energy body. This accounts for our strong natural likes and dislikes when it comes to choosing the colours we wear and those that surround us. This sensitivity varies from person to person depending upon how sensitive they are and how sensitive their aura is. Women generally have more delicate and sensitive auras than men. They are, therefore, far more sensitive to the effects of colour than men are. Colour can have a strong effect on a very sensitive person. If they wear a colour that clashes too badly with their aura, it can make them physically ill. The effect of colour on the emotions is well known. Ward colours are carefully chosen in hospitals and other institutions to calm agitated people and put them at ease. Soft, pastel shades of pink and blue are the most frequently used for this because of their well-known calming effect. The basic hue of an aura is its dominant colour. This is the most visible colour of the multiple energies generated by all the chakras mixed together, creating a general overall colour. There are, of course, many different colours in a person's aura, but the basic hue is usually seen first. Many people suggest that people can be classified as being a particular type of person by the basic hue of their aura. For example, the colour red implies sensuality, vitality, raw energy. Orange, emotion. Yellow, personality power, mental power, intellect. Green, spirituality, love, affinity with nature, a natural healer. Blue, highly spiritual, religious, natural teacher, healer. Violet, very highly spiritual, psychic, clairvoyance, religious, teacher and healer. Gold, highly advanced spirituality and psychic abilities, an adept. I have found this method of classification to be both unfair to the person being classified and extremely misleading. The basic meanings of the individual colours are well known as above. I find the human aura to be such a complex and changeable engine it cannot be classified in such a simple way.
For example, if a person with a predominantly blue aura is experiencing an emotional crisis, their aura will be flooded with large patches of orange. This is a temporary state only, and once a crisis is resolved, their aura will revert to its natural blue. There are so many things that can temporarily change the appearance of an aura, sometimes just for an hour or more. Devotional worship, for example, generates high-minded feelings and deep spiritual love. An unstable, emotional, dominant and violent person, whose aura is, say, naturally red and orange with streaks of black in it, can generate higher spiritual colours during worship. These will temporarily flood their aura, giving them the appearance to auric sight of being a very spiritual person, but hiding their true colours and hence their true nature. Examples. Jock. Blue. Jock was a young man I knew several years ago. He was an extremely vital, sensitive man, but was very unstable, having a lot of problems. Jock was a deep thinker, and we would often expound upon the meaning of life and the nature of the universe together. At times like this, I would often see a lovely spiritual blue surrounding him. Red. Now once Jock had a few drinks in him, alcohol, he could become extremely aggressive, violent and dangerous at the top of a hat. At times like this, I would see his aura change dramatically, in moments to a bright angry red with big orange patches and black streaks in it. Not a trace of his original blue aura would remain. This red, orange and black colour would stay with him until he calmed down completely and sobered up. Dan. Dan was an old friend of mine with a naturally green aura. When Dan has a problem, his mind goes into overdrive trying to find a solution to his problem. His aura then changes to bright yellow, flooding strongly through his aura. His aura then changes to bright yellow, flooding strongly through his aura. This reverts to its original green very quickly once he has found a solution. I have often observed this while playing chess with him. Every time he gets into a sticky situation, his aura floods yellow. Gardening When I have been gardening, having a lot of physical contact with plants, the aura around my hands and forearms changes to a lovely green. This green fades away a few hours later. Close contact with plants seems to have an effect on the energy body. Maybe this is where the old saying comes from, having a green thumb for gardening. These examples demonstrate the changeable nature of the human aura in a very general way. An aura is a variable reflection of the energy activity going on within a person. This reflection is detected by the brow centre of the observer and interpreted as coloured bands of light by the sight centre of their brain. Health, mood, emotion, strong thoughts, drugs and other influences stimulate many different energy patterns in the primary and secondary energy centres. These energy patterns change the overall quality of the energy being reflected into the aura. This generates many different colours, which changes the aura's dominant colours. Clothing. It is impossible to get a clear view of an aura through clothing. The auric colours given off by any coloured clothing react with the wearer's aura. This causes interference that blocks and changes the natural flow of energies within an aura. For example, a blue shirt will flood the wearer's natural aura with yellow, changing its appearance. Even neutral coloured clothing will block and dim an aura, making it dull and difficult to see. If, for example, you observe the aura of a person wearing a red shirt, their aura will contain a great deal of green. This shows why bare skin is best in order to get a clear view of an aura. When a coloured material is worn, the band of colour seen close to the material is a reverse auric colour of that colour. The aura's real colours will be seen building up from the outer edge of that colour. The reverse auric colour of the material and the true colours of the living aura affect each other, changing their natural colours. Malady. Disease. 
This shows up in the aura in many different ways, sometimes weeks or months before any physical symptoms appear. An ear infection, for example, will show up in an aura as a gradually thickening shadow over the ear and side of the head. This can be seen several days before any physical symptoms appear. The shadow will begin as a light grey smudge, gradually thickening and darkening. It will eventually change to a murky green patch about the size of your hand. As the infection worsens, it will become shot through with red and orange streaks, flecks and sparks. A shadow in the aura is the first sign of any approaching health problem. Murky green with red and orange streaks, flecks and sparks is common to infection. Death When a person is dying, their aura undergoes dramatic changes. I have observed the auras of people dying of terminal cancer and other diseases in the weeks prior to their death. The first noticeable sign is when the aura fades and begins to grow weaker and paler. Next, with long-term illness, a week or so before physical death, the aura begins to expand and change. It changes into a beautiful, very pale, milky blue, shot through with faint, tiny silver and white sparks. These sparks flash and twinkle throughout the aura. Each spark is only visible for a fraction of a second at a time. Note, the aura of a dying person is a very pale, milky blue. It is very pale and faint and very difficult to see. It is quite common to see a pale blue aura surrounding a healthy person. This does not mean they are about to die. The aura of a dying person is quite different from a normal healthy pale blue. It is all one colour, much larger than normal, very milky and very faint. Closer to the time of death, the aura begins to pulsate, swelling and shrinking erratically. At times it will fill the entire room, becoming more of an atmosphere than an aura. At other times it will be so shrunken as to be almost invisible to auric sight. It grows paler and finer by the day and the tiny silver and white sparks become finer and increase in frequency. There is a great deal of activity in all the energy centres at this time. The energy body is preparing itself for the final separation of the physical body from the non-physical body or spirit. There are at times faint surges of colour and faint coloured sparks like pastel fountains surging and falling from the primary centres. They spasm and shudder and begin generating a much higher and more refined type of energy. This change heralds the imminent and final separation of the spirit from the physical body, what we call death. The above is not to be mistaken for the normal pale blue and sparks that can be seen in a healthy human aura. The above observation is not visible to any normal level of auric sight, but requires some degree of clairvoyance, i.e. the ability to see mind's eye visions. At some time, variable before physical death, the aura will become almost invisible to auric sight. Only a faint, very pale glow will still be seen close to the skin. This is residue etheric matter clinging to the physical body. There is, however, still intense activity going on within the energy body, but this is now far beyond the reach of normal auric sight. The aura is now reflecting itself into a much higher level of reality, another dimension. Clairvoyant and astral sight are necessary in order to see any more energy activity during the final stages of the death process. At the actual moment of death, if you are watching closely, you will see a very faint pale mist surge up out of the body and quickly vanish. This is a spirit leaving the physical body. That faint mist is residual etheric matter clinging to the spirit body as it departs. The actual timing for these changes in the aura to occur depend greatly upon the type of illness, the duration of it and the strength of the dying person. These govern the speed of the actual death process. With some conditions this whole process can happen very quickly, often a matter of hours. 
With other conditions, this may happen over several days, weeks or even months. Spirit energy. There is always a lot of spirit energy and activity surrounding a dying person in the days and weeks prior to their death. The amount of this spirit activity seems to depend greatly upon their belief system as well as their moral, spiritual and psychic development. The strongest I have ever felt this high-level spirit energy activity is around dying children. Children seem to be a lot more aware of their spirituality than adults give them credit for. We adults seem to lose so much of this awareness of our spiritual and divine nature as we grow older. I have been in the presence of many dying children. The only way I can describe this is that at these special times I have been in a holy presence, far beyond my poor understanding of reality. Children gain a special kind of wisdom and a high level of spiritual understanding, and they have no fear of death. I have never had the opportunity to observe the aura of someone dying shortly after an accident, so cannot comment on this aspect of death. Premature death. I have, though, known healthy vital people that have died suddenly from strokes, heart attacks, brain aneurysms. I have observed them in the days and weeks prior to their premature deaths. I have noted similar changes as I might expect to see in a dying person. Very milky, pale blue, expanded auras, silver and white sparks and lots of spirit energy and activity around them. These people, though, were not sick. They were all healthy, vital people, but there was something quite different about them, an indefinable atmosphere. In all cases, they seemed to know intuitively, but not consciously, that their time in this world was nearly up. They all did certain things, tidied up their affairs or made things right in some way in the days and weeks prior to their death. Why most people fail to see auras The most common reason why people fail to see an aura is simply the way they go about it. The human aura is not a good training ground for the beginner. This is what usually happens. Your volunteer sits and waits for a very long time while you struggle and strain for a glimpse of their aura you are trying to relax and concentrate and master a tricky visual technique all at the same time. You subconsciously worry about what they are thinking of you. Are they getting bored? Are they getting impatient? Do they think you foolish, a failure or both? This kind of pressure causes subtle tensions to build up within you that effectively negate the relaxed state needed to see an aura. Trying to get results under this kind of pressure as a beginner is next to impossible. Here is an email letter from a young man. It shows some common misunderstandings when auras are first encountered. David, I was sitting in an economics class when I started to see a faint white glow around the lecturer's head. Not really, though. I can't really describe it. It was surrounding the sides of his head. And I could also see a similar one coming from one of the students sitting in front of him, except the students had a sort of bluish tinge to it. I kept looking and a bright yellow glow appeared around his head. Then I started to see a similar white glow coming from some of the computer monitors that sit on the desks. At first, I was hoping that I could see auras. But then when I saw it on the monitors, I had my doubts. Me. Every living and non-living thing has an aura, including monitors. The reason you saw them when you did is, let me guess, you were bored, tired, very relaxed, maybe daydreamy a little. Your eyes were tired, heavy, and you were having trouble keeping them open. These are the perfect conditions for seeing an aura. David. That's exactly how it was. The discussion sort of went off topic and wasn't all that interesting to me. Anyway, I was wondering if you can tell me if I actually did see their auras. I tried staring at myself in the mirror to see my aura when I got home and tried to see a friend's aura, but it didn't work. I haven't been able to see an aura since that day, a week or two ago. 
As for some of my questions, I was wondering what colours non-living objects give off. Is it white? How come the aura was brighter around their heads? Me. You did see the aura. The colours given off by non-living objects vary with the colour of the object, but inanimate objects generally have a simple pale, creamy aura surrounding them. The aura you saw surrounding the heads of the people around you was their etheric aura, which is a pale, creamy colour, usually with a pale blue tint to it. The human aura is brighter around the head for two reasons. One, clothing blocks the aura. Two, the head area is usually bare, no clothing to block it, and is where the yellow of the intellect is most active, which is quite easy to see. This yellow varies in intensity according to the degree of mental activity going on at the time the aura is seen. This mental activity brightens the aura in the head area. Maybe the student you observed was really on the ball that day. The main point of showing you this letter is David began to see the aura with no trouble at all when he was tired and not trying to see it. He was tired, bored and daydreaming, a very relaxed state. David was struggling to stay awake and forcing his eyes to stay open. This forcing his eyes to stay open creates a strong mental opening action at the site of the brow centre between the eyes. This stimulates the brow centre and combined with a relaxed, unfocused gaze causes spontaneous auric sight to occur. When David tried to see an aura later at home, he could not because he was wide awake and trying and was no longer in a relaxed enough state for auric sight to work. Keep this above in mind when you first attempt to use auric sight. How to see an aura, basic technique. The same basic technique used to see the aura of colour is used to see all other types of aura, including the human aura. This same technique is also a part of full clairvoyance. This is why looking at the aura of colours is such good training for seeing the human aura. The aura of colour is far denser and easier to see than the human aura. This allows the auric viewing technique to be learned much easier and faster than does practising on the more difficult human aura. To see the aura, you have to be able to relax and concentrate at the same time, and there is a trick to focusing your eyes in a special way. An aura must be gazed upon, not looked at. Light. First, you need plenty of good soft light to training, not dim, but good soft light. It is very important not to have any strong light shining or reflecting into your eyes. It is best to have light coming from behind and above you. If you have, say, a window flooding light into the room in your field of view, while trying to see an aura, it will distract you and make an aura much more difficult to see. A 100-watt bulb coming from above and behind you is fine. Step 1. Get a book and cover it in bright primary blue or red paper. Stand it upright on a table six or seven feet from you, about two metres. Experiment with the distance until you find what is just right for you. But the minimum distance should be no less than four feet, 1.2 metres. Make sure you have a plain, fairly neutral background. Do not view it against a brightly coloured wall or garish wallpaper. If the wall colour is wrong, hang a sheet of neutral coloured paper or cloth on the wall as a backdrop. A bed sheet or some sheets of butcher's paper taped to the wall will do fine. Notes. The book is only a prop for the coloured paper, i.e. it is the aura of the coloured paper you are going to look at, not the aura of the book. Using a brick covered in coloured paper would give the same result as would hanging a piece of coloured paper on the wall. The auras of the colours blue and red are by far the brightest and easiest to see. The brightness and tone of a colour's aura varies with the shade and tone of the colour used so use bright primary colours only. You can use any brightly coloured item for this, clothing, kitchen canisters, toys or even tape squares of coloured paper directly to a wall. 
Step 2. Close your eyes, take a few deep breaths and relax. When you are calm, look at the book. Focus your eyes on nothing, a little to the side and just past it. This is as if you were gazing at, but not focusing on, the wall behind it. The whole idea is to totally relax the focus of your eyes and view the subject with your peripheral or side vision. By side vision, I mean just to the side of your normal focused area of sight, a couple of inches only, not out of the corner of your eye. Gently hold that gaze and relax your eyes. Get used to that relaxed focus and try not to strain or tense your eyes or forehead while doing it. Concentrate. You need an intense but very relaxed and steady gaze similar to daydreaming. Blinking. When you need to blink, do so or it will cause your eyes to tense, burn and water. Blink normally and without changing focus and do not become preoccupied with it. Blinking will cause the aura you are viewing to disappear for a second or two only, but it will reappear quickly if you stay calm and hold a relaxed focus. Learning to hold your focus while blinking normally is an important part of learning to use auric sight. Brow centre opening technique. It is necessary to use some type of brow centre opening exercise in order to stimulate your brow centre into a receptive mode. This allows you to receive the energy surrounding your subject as auric sight. It is possible to see the aura of colour without doing this, but it is very difficult to see a living aura without first stimulating and opening your brow centre. Please pay very close attention to what follows. Remember what it is like to be very, very tired, totally exhausted. Remember what it feels like when you haven't slept for days and can hardly keep your eyes open. Remember what it feels like when your eyes keep trying to close on you. Remember what it is like to have to wrestle with your eyes to keep them open. This causes a sensation, if you observe yourself closely, much like you are trying to lift a heavy, shadowy veil from behind your eyes. When this happens, the muscles of your eyes are not responding very well, so the action becomes almost entirely mental. Stop for a moment and remember what this feels like. Wrestling to open tired eyes causes a strong mental opening action at the site of the brow centre, thereby stimulating it. How this works. This mental opening action focuses your bodily awareness at the site of your brow centre. When your bodily awareness is focused at one area of your body and you manipulate that area with your mind, you stimulate your energy body in that area in a dynamic way. If this mental opening action is continued for long enough and enough mental effort to put into it, your brow centre, your third eye, will begin to open. If you carry out this mental opening action when you are relaxed and have a subject in your field of view and you are not looking directly at your subject, spontaneous or excite will occur. The mental opening action given here is similar, only much stronger and more effective than the normal visualisation-based chakra opening techniques taught by most other teachers of psychic development and energy work. Visualisation-based energy work on its own is weak and obtuse and very difficult to learn and use. Back to the coloured book. While you are gazing steadily with a relaxed focus at your blue or red covered book, recreate the same mental action as described before. Shift your bodily awareness to the area between your eyes. Feel this area with your mind. Concentrate all of your sense of feel, your bodily awareness on this area. Tip. Lightly scratch the skin directly between your eyes and just above in the centre of your brow with a fingernail. This will help you to zero in on that spot with your bodily awareness. Shift your bodily awareness to the area between your eyes. 
concentrate on being aware of that area. Mentally lift this whole area as if you were trying to force your eyelids to open, but do not allow the muscles in this area to tense up or respond in any way. This is all mental. Isolate the mental command that lifts your eyelids. Observe yourself closely. Imagine your eyes are heavy and let them close on you and open them a few times. Observe which muscles you use to do this. Use the same muscle command with your mind-based bodily awareness in that area, but without letting your eyelid muscles obey. Do this over and over again, lifting, 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 as if you were lifting a heavy shadow from behind your eyes. Repeat this action over and over, but do not allow yourself or any muscles to tense up or respond. This is a bit tricky to start with, but easily mastered with a little practice. This mental opening action is very important. It is the first step in learning how to control your brow centre and later the rest of your energy body if you decide to progress to developing full clairvoyance and other psychic abilities. In the early stages, it does not matter if you feel you are lifting too large an area over your brow. Even if you are lifting right across the whole front of your forehead, it will still have an opening effect on your brow centre. With practice, you will be able to narrow the focus of this mental opening action to the brow centre area alone. If you keep up this mental opening action, you will stimulate your brow centre, forcing it to become active. Your steady, relaxed focus on your subject will tune your brow centre into the energy given off by it. This energy will be passed along to the sight centre of your brain. There it will be interpreted as a sight picture, a bright band of coloured light. Tip. When you have isolated this opening action and can do it mentally, you will find one side of the veil behind your eyes easier to lift than the other. Usually the right is easier. Basically, this feeling is caused by the two different hemispheres of your brain. One is much easier to use than the other. If this is a problem, use a clockwise swirling mental action over the site of the brow centre to stimulate it. By clockwise, I mean clockwise from the inside. Use the same mental muscle command we talked about before as with opening tired eyes, but swirl it, as if you were mentally stirring that area with a pencil. It is best to alternate between the main opening action and this swirling action when trying to activate your brow centre. The main opening action is still needed to tune your brow centre into an aura. Note, remember all these energy stimulation exercises depend upon localised bodily awareness, specifically localised surface awareness on the skin. You have to feel these mental actions happening in order to make them effective. Your first aura while you are doing all this, patiently keep up your relaxed gaze, just to the side and past your subject. After a while, anything from a few seconds to several minutes in the early stages, you will see a faint shimmering in the air around the book. Then you will see a pale, narrow band of light build up close to the edge of the book. This is the book's etheric aura. Stay relaxed. Don't change your focus in any way. Don't look directly at it. Blink if you have to, it will come back quickly. Soon a bright yellow aura, blue book, or a bright green aura, red book, will start building up from the pale, etheric band around the book. If you change your focus, tense up, or look directly at it, the aura will vanish instantly. The aura has to be observed with your peripheral or side vision. If something happens and the aura disappears, don't worry, continue observing it, 
calmly and patiently and it will reappear. In the early stages, the aura will tend to disappear quite a bit. This is quite normal. Keep at it and this will happen less and less as you master the viewing technique. Step 3. Once you have completed the first steps, gather several books, wrap them, each in a different primary colour. The brighter the colour, the brighter the aura and the easier it is to see. Study these coloured books one at a time and write down the colours you see. Observe the books two at a time and watch how their auric colours affect each other. Move them around, mix them, sit them on top of each other, observe them all in a row. Step 4. Get a pot plant or some fresh flowers and study their aura. The aura you will see around them is a living aura, keeping in mind the effects of the auric colours from the petals and leaves. The orange hue you will see around the green parts of the plant's stems and leaves comes from the auric colour of green. The same with observing a green book. Some of the other colours with flowers will come from the colours of the petals. You will see a more distinct etheric and a stronger shimmering optical effect around the plant. Living auras are more subtle and thus a little harder to see than a simple colours aura. With practice though, the auras of plants will become much easier to see. Step 5. Observe the aura of a tree. Pick a good-sized tree that you can view highlighted against a sky. It is best to observe it with the sun behind you early in the morning or late in the day. If the sun or any strong reflection is in your eyes, it will make this very difficult to do. The shimmering around the tree will be much more imposing and intense than with a small plant. The colour of a tree's aura will also be influenced, not only by the colours of the leaves and bark, but also by the colour of the sky itself. On a sunny day, the tree's aura will appear to be a shade of blue. On a cloudy day, it will appear to be a creamy grey. Viewing distance. Experiment with this, as it depends upon the size of the tree. Make sure you can see the entire top of the tree in your field of view. You need to be approximately three times the height of the tree away from it or more. A tree's aura can be huge depending upon the size of the tree and how strong it is. At the top of the tree's aura, you can sometimes see a fountaining effect. I am not sure what causes this, and I have not seen this with every tree I have observed. Some people say that it is a tree's spirit, or a nature spirit living inside the tree that causes it. Some trees do seem to have a kind of consciousness within them, so this may be true. Step 6. For the next step, use an animal, any animal, a dog, cat, kangaroo, camel, lion, tiger, elephant, etc., if you have access to one. Try and observe them when they are resting. Animal auras are not as colourful as human auras, but they are still very good practice. Keep in mind that the colour of the animal's coat will affect the colour of its aura. Disease can be detected in the aura of an animal, the same as with a human subject. This makes observing them very good practice for diagnosing the early signs of disease in an aura. Step 7. Observe your own aura. This can be done outside with the sun behind you or inside against the neutral background. Hold your arm out and study your hand and forearm. You can also lay down and observe the aura of your feet and legs. Step 8. A human subject. In the beginning, it is best to observe the human aura in two stages. Stage 1. Have your subject wear a colourful shirt, dress or jumper. Anything will do. Use any colour but blue. Do not use blue as this will flood and hide the yellow of the intellect, the colour most commonly seen around the head area. Make sure their upper neck area is bare 
observe their shoulder area using the same setting and technique as with the original book. You will see the colour of the shirt easily building up around their shoulder. Make sure you continue to do the mental opening action with all these exercises. When the shirt's aura is clear around their shoulder area, shift your gaze slightly higher so you are gazing past their bare neck area. Keep the shirt's aura in view, don't change what you are doing and see what other colours you can pick up around their bare neck. This exercise makes sure your eyes and brow centre are working together as with the book. Do not focus directly on your subject's neck. All auras must be gazed at and observed with peripheral vision. You should begin to see a slightly different colour building up near the top of their shirt's auric colour around their bare neck and head. Now shift your gaze slightly higher so your line of sight is level with their head area. Keep your gaze relaxed and don't change anything. You should see some yellow around this area. When you see a little, ask your subject to do some mental arithmetic or think hard about something. See if their aura brightens when they do this. Stage 2. Get your volunteer to remove some of their upper clothing. Study a bare skin aura against the neutral background, the same as with the book. The upper arm and shoulder area is the best place to start your observation. With bare skin, the first thing you will see is a slight shimmering effect, a fuzziness in the air near the skin. Next, you will see the etheric aura build up from their skin. This looks like creamy, pale blue smoke clinging to their skin. This is quite distinct and normally about half an inch deep. Hold your focus and the aura's main colours will begin to build up and out from the etheric aura. It will first appear as a narrow band of colour highlighting the edge of the etheric aura. This will appear and disappear, grow and shrink quite a bit. This part is very frustrating, but keep at it and it will get easier. The colour will slowly grow larger and become thicker and more well-defined. Hold your focus and it will grow to several inches or more thick. The main aura may vanish and reappear many times, as I said, while it is building up. This is caused by blinking and minute shifts in your focus and cannot be helped. Tip. The brightness of a person's aura has a lot to do with their mood and how they feel. If they feel happy and full of life, their aura will be much stronger, larger and brighter. Try playing their favourite music or crack a few jokes and have a good laugh. This will help to energise their aura and make it easier for you to see. Practice and time. It takes practice to see the human aura, so don't be disappointed if you fail or see very little the first few times you try. If you manage to see the aura of the original blue book, you can learn to see the human aura. Using this training method stimulates the brow centre, which is responsible for all types of non-physical sight. With use, it will grow in strength and seeing auras will become progressively easier to do. It may take weeks before you get your first proper glimpse of the human aura if you have poor natural ability for this, but with practice, as I did, you will eventually be able to see it. I suggest that you practice a mental opening and stimulation exercises and observe auras for at least a few minutes every day. This will stimulate your brow centre's development. Spontaneous auric sight you will find there will be days when auras are very difficult to see. You will also find there are days when auras just appear around people and objects without any conscious effort on your part to see them. You will find this happening at odd times when your brow centre is, for some reason, very active. You may be sitting down talking to someone, and all of a sudden you will see their aura, or the aura of their clothing, with no effort at all. 
Episodes of strong spontaneous auric sight will happen frequently once you begin stimulating and developing your brow centre through the practice of observing auras. A letter showing this. Eric. I have been practising your method daily for over a month now, but have not succeeded in seeing much of a human aura until now. I can usually see the auras of colours and plants, and can see my own aura fine. Up until now, I have only been able to see the auras of colour, the etheric and some patches of distortion around people when I try and see their auras. Yesterday, I was working on my computer, and my girlfriend came into my room. She had just showered and was getting dressed. I just looked at her and boom, there was this huge aura all around her. It was really beautiful and solid looking. It was mostly green around her body with a yellow glow around her head. Oh, and there were some red and orange patches around her hips and stomach. I was not trying to see her aura. I was trying to finish my work and was very tired. What with exams coming up next week, it just appeared around her like magic. What happened? How could I see it without trying to? I tried the next day but couldn't see it again. What happened? Me. Bravo, Eric. You're doing extremely well. What you saw was a full living aura of your girlfriend. I take it she was naked when you saw it. This would have helped you to get a better view of it. This is spontaneous auric sight caused by the practice you have been doing, seeing auras. This will happen more frequently from now on. It will just happen from time to time when your brow centre is very active for some reason or other. This is a sign that your brow centre is responding well to the exercises I gave you and developing nicely. Your dreams should also increase in frequency and become more vivid, with more lucid dreams, etc. This is another sign of your brow centre developing. This is a good example of spontaneous auric sight. Eric was tired and relaxed when it first happened, the perfect state for seeing auras. He had been practising auric sight exercises for several weeks, This had stimulated his brow centre, causing bouts of spontaneous auric sight to happen. Eric was lucky enough to have a naked subject for his first view of an aura, showing him the full human aura with no interference from clothing, etc. With Eric, this sort of thing happened every few weeks for about a year. It then increased in frequency, happening about once a week on average. Sometimes this only showed him a patch of colour on someone for a few seconds. At other times, he sees a full aura. After Eric had his first bout of spontaneous auric sight, he found it much easier to see the human aura when he tried. He still cannot see the whole aura when he wants to, unless it happens spontaneously. He can now, though, see bands and patches of colours in people's auras that he could not see before. A first sighting of an aura. Here is another email letter. It describes a very unusual first sighting of an aura. Rick. I want to relate to you an event yesterday that was kind of unusual. I was sitting in church, just staring at the choir, when I saw an incredible white light, sort of like a shadow, and three of the choir members had this white light shooting up to the ceiling and turning blue and green. It was like looking at a bright, multicoloured x-ray. It was an awesome experience. I had a chill run down my spine and I thought, wow, and blinked, and it was gone. Question. What the heck was that? I assume it was an aura. Me. You were, by the sound of it, in a very relaxed state and carried away, uplifted by the spiritual singing of the choir. This must have stimulated your energy body and brow centre, causing spontaneous auric sight, making it possible for you to see the choir's aura while it was flaring. What you have seen is the human aura flaring in an excited state. This is a rare and truly beautiful sight. I have only ever seen this once myself.
The flaring auras of the choir would have been caused by a charged devotional atmosphere in the church and by the hymn the choir was singing at the time. This must have stirred deep spiritual feelings and uplifted them. The white changing to blue and green, rising auras you saw, came from their throat and heart chakras. These are higher spiritual colours and are affected by emotions of spirituality and love. A few last words. I have taught many people to see the auras using the method described. The fast results in the early stages help to build confidence and keep interest high. This ensures enough work and effort is put in to get the desired results seeing the human aura. Once you have seen your first aura, you have taken your first step into a much larger and more colourful world. If you practice and graduate to seeing even a glimpse of the elusive human aura, then you are making very good progress indeed and your brow centre is showing its development through your increased ability. The next step for this is to develop clairvoyance. This is the ability to see more subtle energies in the world around you. These energies contain within them karmic influences, life conditions, the results of past actions and future events and probabilities, plus lots of other exciting and interesting stuff. This energy is seen clairvoyantly as metaphoric imagery full of richly symbolic meaning. This is seen as anything from a simple still picture to a full-coloured motion picture quality mind's eye vision.